I'm Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. So glad to have you in this hour with us. And in this hour, how to cope with the stressors of today's social climate. We will offer you some tips and strategies for how to avoid burnout in 2023. What? You feeling it already? <laughs> We're just getting started. Uh, some tips in this hour and some strategies for how to avoid it uh, in the months to come. Courtesy of uh, Lisa Basquiat, host of the podcast, Shaping Freedom with Lisa Basquiat. And if that last name sounds familiar, it should. She is the sister of the iconic artist of the same last name, who we all know well. Uh, we were talking this hour about how to create the change you want this year and author a life story uh, that you would like to read. Uh, now that the CEO of the personal growth company, Shaping Freedom, joins us in this hour. Lisa, how are you today? I'm doing really well, Tavis. Really, really well. Thank you. How about you? Uh, if I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I'm doing well, also, and I'm delighted to <laughs> de- delighted to have you on. Let, let, let me let me start with this. I was laughing uh, when my uh, my producer uh, walked in, and we do this all the time with our guests before I go on the air, and I'm on the air, you know, live three hours a day, weekdays, uh, and because my name is Tavis Smiley, as you know. Uh, I've been called uh, so many things other than Tavis my entire life that pronouncing people's names correctly uh, is a big deal to me. And so I always make sure that even if I know the person, that we just double check before I go on the air to make sure that we're pronouncing their first and last name correctly. Because, again, I've been called Travis and Tavis and and just and just about everything else over the course of my career. I just got to the point now where I say you can call me anything. Just don't call me late for dinner, right? Uh, but you can call me anything you want to call me. I'm so used to it now. Uh, but for those who uh, obviously know the work, uh, know about the work of your of your iconic uh, late brother, and for those who follow your work, which we're going to talk about in this hour, um, give give me and give the audience the correct pronunciation of that last name. So for those of us who've been doing it wrong all these years, we can get it right from the source. <laughs> Basquiat. Yeah. So it's Basquiat. You pronounce it uh, as if it was spelled B-A-S-K-E-E-A. Basquiat. Basquiat. And thank you for that. I appreciate that. I, I wanna. Uh, uh, I'd love to like do a post one day, like on <laughs> a primer on how to pronounce your Michelle's. You know how to pronounce our last name because I grew up in Brooklyn. Yeah. And so I too was called a lot of other things. We were called basket and mm. all kinds of other things. So mm-hmm. yes, thank you for that. No, no, no. I wanted to do that because I, I again I want to make sure that I get it right and, and as importantly. Want to make sure that those of us, um, you know, this is this is a black-owned and black-operated uh, radio station, talk radio station, uh, the only one of its kind uh, west of the Mississippi, um, and we take our work seriously around here. We're unapologetically progressive mm-hmm. in the work that we do. But one of the things that I take seriously, I probably shouldn't say this on the radio, but you know, I'll say it anyway. Um, I'm always on people around here uh, because I know the way we mm-hmm. are seen by the world. You'll appreciate this, I think. I know how we're seen mm-hmm. around the world and by the world, and I am I am on people all the time around here. We cannot make the mistakes that others make. You can't make a mistake in programming. You can't make a mistake as my engineer. Mm-hmm. You can't make a mistake misspelling words on my website. You can't make a mistake mispronouncing people's names. I recall the first day we started, the first week we started, some of my colleagues were mispronouncing Kamala Harris's first name incorrectly. I said, hold up now. We cannot be a black talk radio station and mispronounce the first name of the black vice president <laughs> of these United. We, we, we can't do that. Others can do that. 
but we cannot do that. So I, I take our work very seriously. I'm a stickler for those kinds of things, and not that I'm perfect, but we're all trying to get it right around here. And so it means something, as I said earlier, to get these uh, these pronunciations right uh, and uh, make sure that when we talk about uh, iconic artists and others uh, like your brother, that we give them the respect they deserve, not just for their craft, uh, but indeed for uh, starting with, I should say, pronouncing um, that name uh, correctly. Since we're on that, though, let me just ask you before we jump into this conversation uh, more more deeply. Um, how how do you wear that name, given who your brother was and given the iconic nature of his work? And again, this conversation is about you and your work. I want to be clear about that, not about your, the brilliance of your brother, but obviously uh, he's your sibling. Um, and so all these years later, how, how, how do you wear the garment of that name, Basquiat? Wow, that's a great question, Tavis. So, you know, what's interesting is that we were taught to wear the name Basquiat many, many years ago, years before Jean-Michel became Jean-Michel Basquiat. And the way that we've always worn the name, including through our brother's uh, life and, and his legacy, um, is to wear it with pride and to wear it with an understanding that it's not just us, that we represent and stand at the doorway of the people that came before us, you know, which is essentially what our ancestors are. Sometimes we think about ancestors, you know, in, you know, as if they're like way, way back there, you know, um, and they're not. They really are right here with us. And so I wear that name with a lot of pride. I wear that name. Uh, it's a name that represents the experience of people who were, um, pioneers and who were courageous and um, authentic mm. yeah. and strong. And, uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, from that perspective of my family, I, I wear that name really proudly. Yeah. And, and also understanding the responsibility that I have um, to that name. That includes the brilliance of my brother and uh you know, the wearing of that part of, of my name is, uh, I wear it, pri- I wear it pr- pr- uh, proudly, excuse me, mm-hmm. and with a lot of joy uh, and uh, with a lot of uh, a sense of responsibility and accountability, most of all. Yeah. Um, thank you for taking that question. I want to ask one more question, and then we'll move on to your work and witness uh, and help people mm-hmm. um, in this hour, I suspect, with some information that can help them make better choices and I think live better lives um, as we get into your work um, around this notion of shaping freedom. Um, but I, I'm asking this because it, it's always amazing to me. I, I walk in the studio every day for three hours, uh, uh, Lisan, and, and I never know uh, where the conversation is going to go. And I'm always amazed and I always take the moment, take, take the time to underscore for our audience in case they miss it, but they're bright. They don't miss these things. They connect these dots as well as I do over three hours every day. In our last hour, we were talking to a man named Wheeler Parker Jr., the Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr., who is the cousin and best friend of the late Emmett Till. He was with Emmett Till Mm -hmm. when this incident went down in Money, Mississippi, back in 1955. And when they came uh, looking for Emmett um, to lynch him, uh, they came to his room first with guns and flashlights and realized that he was not Emmett, moved on to another bedroom and eventually found Emmett. And the story is uh, as the story is. And we all know how the story ended. Mm -hmm. But we had him on last hour. um, So you didn't hear that because you just tuned in this hour. But 
It's been 67 years since that happened, and at the age of almost 84, he finally decided to write his book and tell the story uh, and to try to correct the public record for things that he's lived with for, you know, over 65 years that are not exactly accurate about what happened that night and in the days following that incident when when Emmett was again lynched in Mississippi. I raise that because he is a caretaker, as he sees it, of Emmett's Mm -hmm. legacy. You see where I'm going with this. He's a caretaker of Emmett's legacy. He's a caretaker uh, of of Emmett's story and making sure that before he leaves this earth, again, now almost 84 years of age, that he tries to correct the story to get the record right. I know that you are the co-executor of your brother's uh, estate. And I'm just curious if you might say a word before we move on here about how one goes about protecting the legacy um, of an icon to make sure that in the months and years to come, he or she is remembered as they ought to be, that their work is not exploited, um, that they are uh, given the respect uh, that they deserve, that the truth be told about them and about their time here on the planet. I'm, I'm just wondering if you might say what I, I don't often get a chance to ask questions of co-executors of estates like the one of, of, of your brother. But I wonder if you might, might, might say a word about how you go about making sure that his legacy remains intact, because that is partly what you are responsible for. Absolutely. My sister Janine and I are um, co-administrators of Jean-Michel's estate. And for us, it really is about filling in the blanks. You know, Jean-Michel is, and we're so humbled by how, appreciated he is and how impactful he's been on popular culture and on creatives that come after him. And that's a big job because what it means is that my sister Janine and I are in this position of making decisions that we believe would be in the best interest of Jean-Michel, of his legacy, of the incredible body of work that he left and of the, um, the the social narrative that he's had the opportunity to participate in even 33 years after his death. Uh, the way that we do that is to really keep him at the forefront of the conversation. So having this responsibility means that we have to make the decisions that we believe are in the best interest of Jean-Michel and also in some cases making the decisions that we believe would stand the test of time between the decisions that a, a man of uh, 28 years old would make, you know, all these years later. Um, it's an incredible uh, opportunity that, quite frankly, Shining and I appreciate very much because it gives us the opportunity to also work through our loss because that's really what happened is that we, our family lost a member. Our parents lost a son. Our, um, my sister and I lost a brother. And there's nothing like the perspective, I think, of the family when that family is thinking about who that person really is. You know, behind the painter, behind the artist, behind this, 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 enormous being, you know, was someone who was, you know, born and and brought up in Brooklyn Mm. and, you know, was a New York kid and uh, an incredibly talented person and someone who was also a pioneer and who 
uh, wore locks way before locks were a cool thing to wear, <laughs> you know, and who painted, you know, and who claimed his identity as a painter and as an artist when there was no one else for him to point to as an example that that's something that could happen and that he could actually um, earn a living doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for us, for Janine and I, it really is about making sure that we stay very grounded and centered in who Jean-Michel really is, you know, and in our family and in the name, like you said, in the fact that we're wearing the cloak of Basquiat. Mm. And we try, we, that's where all of our decision-making comes from. Well, I'm glad you're there, and I'm confident um, that uh, his legacy, his grand legacy, is in good hands uh, with you and your thank sister you. caretaking that. And I thank you, thank for, you. Thank you for, for indulging me thank on you. those things, starting with pronouncing that last name correctly. Uh, now, <laughs> now, now we've got that straight. Yeah. Uh, when we come yeah. forward. I uh, do want to uh, add sure. one thing. Sure, sure, sure. Can I add one quick thing, Kevin? Sure, sure. And that is that, you know, I think one of the things, the bridging the gap between, you know, Jean-Michel's passing, which was August 12, 1988, and um, uh, July of two, uh, 7th of 2013, is this time frame where a father learned of his son, you know, found, lost his son, and that's our father, Gerard Basquiat, and our mother, Matilda Basquiat, lost her son. And bridging that gap between what Janine and I are doing today and Jean-Michel's passing were these years where our father, um, while processing this incredibly um, horrific and traumatic loss of his son, also jumped in to ensure that his son's legacy was protected and that the world respected his son and respected his work. And I I would be remiss if I did not mention that. And I'm mentioning it for a few reasons. One is because that's our dad, Gerard Basquiat, and that's our mom, Matilda Basquiat. And also because looking at the exhibition that's moving to L.A., by the way, and just closed down in New York, mm-hmm. uh, and was also uh, recognized as the number three exhibition to see in 2022. I'll just slide that in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but what you also see in there is um, childhood video uh, movies, home movies, and Jean-Michel's uh, membership card from when he first joined the Brooklyn Museum. Many, you know, at five or whatever age he was, very, very young, and a bunch of ephemera that made up his childhood. And so I'm, there's nothing more important than us as parents, really, even when we don't necessarily agree, there's something about holding on to those things and really allowing a child to know, even from a very young age, how important they are in this world. Mm-hmm. And we are so grateful, Janine and I, and the rest of our family, that we have those those that ephemera to go back to that really lays out our childhood. So it's just like a quick plug for parents. And, you know, we've had many conversations with people who really commended the fact that we still had, like, things that Jean-Michel drew and wrote when he was in his teens mm-hmm. and how important that was for them and what that meant in their processing of their relationship with their children and their relationship to parenting overall and their role 
in holding their children up. So I just wanted to, you know, throw that in there as well, because there's something to be said about the Jean-Michel Basquiat story, but there's also something to be said for the story of legacy for all of us. Mm. I'm glad you said it. And the ways that our children recognize their, their importance and their worth in the world. Indeed. I'm glad you said it and you said it well. Uh, and uh, I am I'm I'm excited. Many of us are, and we are awaiting the arrival of that exhibit in Los Angeles. To your point, it wrapped in New York, uh, hugely successful, and we are awaiting for the arrival uh, in in L.A. And I cannot wait to, uh, to to get in line with so many other Los Angelinos and others on the West Coast to see it when it arrives. When we come forward. Uh, we'll continue our conversation with uh, Lisan Basquiat. She's an artist in her own right, and we're going to spend the rest of this hour talking about how she can help you, help me, help us with some tips and strategies for avoiding burnout in 2023. She is the CEO of Shaping Freedom. We'll talk about how we go about shaping our freedom in this year and beyond when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Guest in this hour, um, she is the CEO of uh, Shaping Freedom, and uh, Shaping Freedom comes in a number of forms, including a podcast. Uh, and so we're delighted to be in conversation with her. I'm watching my clock here. I've got news, traffic, and sports in about six minutes. We went long in that first segment, which is great because I wanted to hear all that she had to offer, and I know you did as well. But let me just get this conversation started in these next six minutes uh, by talking about this notion of shaping freedom, and then we'll again spend the rest of this hour get more into. Um, some advice and some strategies and tips that will help all of us as we move through this year, just now underway. Uh, but, but Lisa, let me start with a broad question here. Uh, when you use that phrase and you started this podcast and this company and you're doing your work as CEO of this company that you have named Shaping Freedom, you mean by that what? It's a powerful phrase. And when uh, when I became aware of it some time ago and wanted to have you on the program, it's that phrase that jumped out at me, this notion of shaping freedom. There's so many ways I can take that. Uh, and I'm going to use it in a few speeches down the road. Uh, trust me, <laughs> this notion of what it means to be black people about the business of shaping freedom in this country. But when you came up with it, when you use it, you mean by it what? What I mean by shaping freedom is that, you know, freedom is expressed through um, freedom is really about being able to live powerfully and boldly with unconfined by some of the limiting beliefs that we have, some of the um, things that stand in the way of us really living a life that we truly want to live. I believe that the quality of your life is worth fighting for. It is the most important asset that we have. And the way that we get there to that quality of life is really about figuring out who you truly are and ensuring that you that you make the changes in your life that are required in order for you to truly be a free mind, a free emotion, free of uh, the things that kind of stand in the way of you mm. getting to where you want to be, free of some of the emotional legacy that we that that is bestowed upon us. Right. A lot of times we think about legacy from the perspective of, you know, the financial legacy or or generational wealth. But, hey, generational wealth is about, you know, money in the bank. And it's also about emotional wealth, mm. the ability to really live freely in this on this, you know, ju- this journey that we're on. And it all really starts with the relationship that we're in with ourselves, because it's from the quality of that relationship that we're in with ourselves that everything else happens around us. 
And so shaping freedom is really about what you do to stand boldly at the forefront of your own life. It means being accountable for the results that are happening in your life. It means through that accountability, being aware of what's happening, like really being aware of what's happening, you know, where you are pointing the finger not at other people and not at external plate, you know, your boss, your, you know, your spouse, your lover, your whoever, your kids, your parents, but really turning that table around to really look at who you are and how you're showing up in this world and then to take action on it. And the way to do that is really it starts with you believing that you are free to do that. And then you go through the action steps mm. to make that happen and to create the world, the life experience mm. that you truly want to live. We'll talk when we come forward about those action steps. Let me do this right quickly over the 90 seconds I have left, and we'll continue for the rest of this hour on the other side. Um, why, and I'm not naive in asking this, but right quick in 90 seconds, why do we have to fight to fight for the quality of our lives? Why is it a fight? Mm. I don't think it has to be a fight. I, I use the fight because there's passion. Sure. It's about attaching some passion to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by fight, to be passionate about how you truly want to live versus being passive. Yes. Yeah. About what happens and simply reacting to what happens. Yeah. Now, I wasn't pushing back. Just, just, just to be clear, I'm not pushing back on the notion because I do believe it is a fight. You could. I, I, I take your point. I take your yeah. point. It doesn't have to be a fight, but for so many of us, it is. Yeah. And I'm speaking specifically mm -hmm. now what it means to, to, to live in the skin that we're in, right? This melanin uh, that mm -hmm. we that we inhabit. Uh, it, it is a fight um, for the quality of your life. So I, mean, I was struck by the phrase. It's a beautiful phrase. And uh, I, I, again, not pushing back at all, but I just wanted to interrogate that a bit more. And we will uh, even further when we come um, forward after news, traffic and sports. I want to come back to this notion of fighting. Uh, it doesn't just happen. You yeah. have to be intentional. And that's what I was really getting at. You got to be intentional. Yeah. about the kind of life you want to live, the kind of legacy you want to leave. And so it is, in fact, a fight. We'll talk more about that, get to some of these action steps and give you some more tips and strategies to avoid the burnout. Uh, and again, imagine and create the kind of world that you want to live and write the kind of story, uh, as Lisan says, that you want to read. Our guest in this hour is Lisan Basquiat. She's on KBLA Talk. KBLA Talk 1580. I hate to disturb this groove, uh, but this conversation awaits. And I want to get back to our conversation with Lisan Basquiat uh, as we talk in this hour. I love that track. Uh, as we talk to Lisan about uh, shaping freedom. Uh, before news traffic and sports, Lisan, I was saying, uh, you were saying actually about uh, this notion of fighting for the quality of our lives. And I agree with you. I wasn't interrogating that or disagreeing with you. I, I love this idea that we have to fight for the quality of our lives, particularly as people of color. Uh, and put another way, we have to be intentional. I wonder if you might say a word about uh, about being intentional when you want to create your own narrative, when you want to write a story, as you so beautifully put it, that you'd love to read. We have to be intentional about making choices and decisions. And I wonder if you might say a word about that. Absolutely. And, and a little bit more on the concept of fighting. I mean, I think we fight every day, and I think that we are, many of us are, up for the fight, right? We can get in there and we can fight with each other and we can fight within our families and with the people that we love. Like we can show, we'll show up for that fight and we'll even show up for the fight, you know, that ride or die fight with each other, uh, for each other. 
but the the notion of fighting is really about taking being very intentional and committed and accountable to the way that you are the quality of the life that you are living. It is understanding that like I said before about ancestors, like yes, ancestors and they're right here at the door with us. And we at some point in time are going to leave this planet and this lifetime and there is a story that we are writing mm. every single day. We're authoring a story and at the end of all of it there will be a time where, you know, either we purpose you know, purposefully do it or that story gets laid out for us. Like how did we live? And so my desire and hope is that more and more people will understand that, understand that they actually, that we actually do have the ability to take a, hit the pause button, understand that there's a story that's being told, and make sure that the story you're telling is the one that you want to tell, and not just the story of, you know, the patterns that play out in our families or the ways that we are you know, victimized by our managers, by society, by the things that happen to us, but really standing in the quality of the life that you want to live, making those hard decisions that sometimes need to be made, setting boundaries where boundaries need to be set with other people and with ourselves. Mm. And if we're asking other people to spend time with us, to hear us, to respect us, to do any of those things, making sure that we have cultivating a re cultivated a relationship with ourselves that exhibits what that actually looks like so that we know yeah. what it feels like to be loved, so that we know what it feels like to set a boundary, so that we understand what it feels like to say, no, I really want to be an artist. I really want to be a a coach or a business person or an executive in, or in an organization or a, you know, multifaceted speaker and author and, uh, and host, right? It's like un understanding that you have the ability to make those decisions for yourself mm -hmm. and that we, the fight doesn't have to be, the fight should be a productive fight yeah. where you're actually moving things forward versus just like duking it out and staying in the same place. Yep. You mentioned a few things a moment ago, uh, Lisan, that I want to see if I can weave together and, and make sense of something. I, I know where I'm going. Let me see if I can get there right quick. Um, you, 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 you mentioned ancestors a moment ago. You mentioned families a moment ago. Earlier in this conversation, you talked about and did a wonderful tribute and shout out to your parents. Um, and because I know a bit, of course, about your backstory and your family as, uh, as, as, as fans and supporters uh, of, of the work that the, the Basquiat family has done over the years, um, when you're born to a Puerto Rican mother and a Haitian father, um, I'm wondering whether or not, uh, let, me, let, me, let me pivot ever so gently here. I told you earlier in this conversation, this notion of shaping freedom I've been wrestling with for days preparing for our conversation, this whole idea of what it means to be about the business of shaping freedom. And I think it's probably on my mind in part because we're headed to the King weekend and uh, I've got a few presentations to mm -hmm. do this weekend um, celebrating the life and legacy of Dr. King and this whole notion of, you know, what it means to fight for freedom and to keep his legacy alive. Uh, but this notion of shaping freedom has really been on my mind of late again, not just for this conversation, but even beyond today. Um, and so there's so many ways to take that, that, that frame of shaping freedom. I'm wondering if, the way that you've gone about shaping your own personal freedom 
um, is different. Of course, born in Brooklyn. But when your mother's Puerto Rican and your father's Haitian versus the, the, the basic African-American experience from gut bucket Mississippi, like like yours truly, um, whether or not the journey to finding and shaping your own freedom when you come into a family with a Puerto Rican mother, Haitian father, is different than the journey that I'm on. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. Um, I think what was different for for me and for my siblings is that we uh, were we went to school and grew up in an environment where other people had, you know, they referred to experiences during the summer of like going to see grandparents and family, maybe in the South. Mm-hmm. And for us, we were a first generation story. So all of our stories referred to the stories that we heard referred to experiences that happened outside of this country or, you know, the, the, the horrible things that were happening while Haiti was under the control of um, Duvalier sure, and, sure. and what was happening there mm-hmm. or the experience of my mother being a black Puerto Rican, a Puerto Rican of darker skin and what that actually looked like. And so for us, uh, and for me in particular, it was a slightly unique experience, and I felt very much like it, I was kind of the other, but I also, you know, from the outside looking in, I'm a black woman, always have been, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some nuances to our to my experience that, uh, that were very specific to um, feeling kind of knowing that I was black, and feeling in some ways that I wasn't black enough because I wasn't from this country or my parents weren't from this country, even though I am. Mm-hmm. Well, I get it. I get it. Um, for me, that's always fascinating um, that we all, of course, are on our own individual journeys. But it seems to me that um, we start at different places um, and the journey is a bit different that we have to uh, uh, the terrain that we have to navigate is a bit different when we we're born into one lineage versus another, and I uh, appreciate you taking the question. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let, let me pivot now to what I really want to get to in, in now and for the remainder of this hour, and that is these you know tips and strategies for uh, not just avoiding burnout in 2023, uh, but again, being able to, to, to navigate our own journeys and shape freedom for ourselves uh, in ways that um, that we can you know, we can benefit from. Um, what's what's your what's your best advice on this first piece? What's your best advice about how to go about uh, avoiding burnout in 2023? I, I think that some of us are still just coming out of all the the pandemic stuff, right? We're still trying to navigate our way out of that. Um, some call it the new normal, uh, but we're trying to navigate from that. And I'm 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 meeting people even at the start of the year who already feel burnt out by 2023. What's your best advice to mm-hmm. uh, to avoid that? uh in in this year well i think for many of us we're already there yeah exactly <laughs> Avoiding it, uh, it's horrible and you know i think 20 2022 was a transition year and i'm not sure that we saw it as such at the time because so many of us were like all right you know that's it we're out of this you know space of like being locked down now it's time to run mm-hmm. and a lot of us went out and, st- and ran and got a lot done and um, got to the point where, you know, at the end of the year, I think a lot of folks kind of looked around and thought, well, wait a minute, like something isn't, something's awry here. I'm really tired. So I think, you know, for 2022, kind of hard to speak to how to avoid that because we didn't expect to be in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But burnout is something that happens when we are, 
and not to oversimplify it, but it's something that happens when we move away from ourselves, quite frankly, and uh, and when we move away from care for ourselves. And so we're made up, you know, we have four bodies, essentially, right? There's the spiritual body, the mental, the emotional, and the physical. And a lot of times what happens is within our mental body, we're processing um, different brain waves. We're operating, you know, within different brain waves. And I know there are five of them. There's gamma, which is a problem-solving deep concentration one. There's beta, which is our active mind, that mind that's ticking and getting things done. There's uh, alpha, which is reflective and restful, and it's kind of where you are when you're starting to wind down a bit. Then theta is that meditative state, and then delta when you're sleeping, you know, the sleep and uh, and dreaming state. And what has what happens a lot of times and what leads to burnout is when we are overly, when we're taking something that's very natural, like, for example, those five brain waves, mm-hmm. and we're overusing one of them. That's how you get to that place of decision fatigue, which is where I was quite frankly, by the end of the year, when we're constantly in that either heavy problem-solving state or in that beta active state. And that's kind of that, that state that you feel when you're supposed to be sleeping, but you get up at 2 o'clock in the morning yeah. and your brain is ticking off all the things, the emails you need to write, the things you need to do, and, and, and the decisions that you need to make. So I think one of the things to do is to understand that there are five different ways that our brain waves can operate. And I think there are probably more, but those are kind of the, the, yeah. the major ones are the ones that I think about, right? That we are processing, we have the ability to process these different ways and to pay attention to where we're spending most of our time and to actively find ways to kind of balance and harmonize some of that energy. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? You know, theta. That's kind of that alpha, theta, and delta. Well, delta sleep. Make sure you're getting enough sleep, right? If you want to be performing the the following day, it starts with the night before yeah. and making sure that you wind yourself down and step away from things so that you can refresh your, your thought processes. Um, and meditation. That's why meditation is so important because it balances things out, especially for those of us that are like going all gas, no breaks. <laughs> and you know, making decisions a thousand times a day. Let, let me let me let me jump in real quick. Uh, when we come forward, I want to come back to this notion of uh, of meditation. Um, I, I don't want to run past that too quickly. So let me let me do this. When we come forward, we'll get back to uh, Lisan Basquiat and this notion of meditation as one of the ways to avoid burnout. Uh, in 2023, trying to get you to make the most of this year to maximize this moment. More with Lasan when we come forward in a moment. Interrogating your assumptions and expanding your inventory of ideas. Let's get back to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. 80, 80, 80, 80. It's it's my sense. Uh, this is just me talking. It's my sense, uh, Leon Basquiat, that uh, many years ago when I started in this business as a broadcaster. Uh, and I've had many conversations about this, that people didn't take the meditation thing so seriously. Um, but as more time passes, as we uh, find ourselves uh, more in harm's way, as we are, again, trying to avoid burnout, as the world is uh, is turning and changing, I think more of us are discovering that some quiet time, some some meditative time um, does, in fact, have value. So I think I, my read is, as I talk to people um, every day, that people are coming around more and more to valuing the fact that they do need to take some some quiet time, get into that, that find whatever secret space you need to hide away in, 
and spend a little time in meditation. That, that's my read, that people are starting to understand that a little better. But you do this every day. What's your read uh, as to how we are starting to value or not the notion of meditation time every day? Yeah, my read is uh, we're on the same page, Tavis. My read is that you cannot go 90 miles an hour, 90 miles a minute, all the time, 24-7, and then plop yourself down into sleep and miss all of the the steps in between without eventually having it catch up with you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, call it meditation, call it, you know, you know, shaping some time out for yourself, call it whatever you want. At the end of the day, you need to sit down, understand that we are human beings and that we need a chance to, or, or that it's really important that we honor ourselves by fighting for some time for ourselves to really just sit down and refuel. Mm. It's really as simple as that. You can call it meditation. You can pray. You can journal. Like whatever the thing is that you do to bring yourself back to a place where you're kind of calling all your energy home into yourself so that you can make more productive or, or more um, meaningful decisions about your life. Yeah. This this question will seem um, rudimentary, I suspect, to you, Alisan. Um uh, maybe even um, adolescent, but let me ask it anyway because I, I was in conversation with some people the other day and trying to impress upon them um, that we really are the architects of our own lives. I think we, we live in a world where so much happens to us and we are pushed, we feel, and forced in certain directions. We we get a job and feel like we're a slave to that job and we can't leave that job because we have bills to pay and you know where I'm going. I could do this all day long. But I think there's so many so many things happen to us and around us and oftentimes in us that I think we lose sight of the fact that we are, in fact, even at the start of this year, the architects of our lives. We are, as you put it, the authors of our own life stories. And if you want to write a story that you would love to read, or if whenever your time is up, which I hope is no time soon, uh, you want somebody to give a beautiful, wonderful eulogy about you, well, you understand every day that you're writing your own eulogy. You're, you're, you're writing your own story. Mm -hmm. You're the architect of your own lives. And yet I think sometimes, again, given the space that we find ourselves in, we just lose sight of the fact that we really do get to decide. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, we do. And I think that, you know, the the, the flip side of understanding like your brainwaves and how you operate, the other side of it is to also understand that that architecture, that planning and that intention is better and in more alignment when you do it from a place of having, of not, of operating out of anger, sadness, hurt, mm. defensiveness, fear, anxiety, Right. So and that is about taking care of yourself and doing the things that move those things that really stand in our way, those emotions that stand in our way, moving them out of the way so that you can operate from a place of joy. Because the decisions that you make and the plans that you make for your year uh, that come from a place of truly the core of who you are are going to be the plans that you're going to be happier about having accomplished. And it's really not about what you'll do. I mean, we can all do that at the beginning of the year, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to lose weight. We're going to, mm -hmm. you know, put some money in the bank. We're going to get the job done. We're going to do this project, that project and all that. That's the, what you're going to do, which what I find is the, the things that I actually accomplish 
happen when I think more about who I'm going to be this year, yeah. right? I'm going to be a person that takes care of myself, right? And it sounds like, you know, like you said, rudimentary, like the basics. Mm. I'm going to be a person who, if I'm expecting myself to participate in moving an exhibition to L.A. and to growing Shaping Freedom, and to man, you know, I have a, a, a co-working space, Hyra Hub Carlsbad, that mm-hmm. I, you know, that I own, and you know, launching this line of you know products, candles, yoga mats, and all. If I'm expecting myself to do all that, and also to be a loving mother, and a guiding grandmother and sister, and all of that, then I better understand also that I am going to have to take care of myself, so that these projects and people and relationships get to experience a me who has handled my own business. Yeah. Ha- so I'm not showing up making decisions from anger yeah. right? or, yeah. you know, or, or not setting boundaries and then making you responsible for the fact that I'm not setting boundaries. And then I get it, you know, it, it's inefficient quite mm-hmm. frankly, and very ineffective. Well, you, you are handling your business, and uh, I'm laughing because I was just about to run that list of all the things that you are doing in addition to managing your brother's estate with your sister. Uh, you're getting the, the, the workspace for women, uh, Hair Hub in Carlsbad. Last year, she was named Woman Business Owner of the Year. She's got her company, Shaping Freedom. She's got her podcast. Um, uh, this candle line I'm excited about. I'm a candle person. I mean, as a guy, I guess I can confess are that. You? Yeah, I love candles. So I got to get some of those candles, some of your sanctuary candles, shaping sanctuary mm-hmm. candles, because I'm a, I'm a candle guy. I like, <laughs> I like nice smelling things around me. So uh, I got to get some of that. But it's a lot on her plate, a lot on her plate. And yet she took an hour of her time today to talk to us. Uh, and I'm delighted to have had this conversation. And hopefully you took something away from it that will help you make the most of this year, avoid the burnout and author the story about your life that you want to read. Her name is Lisan Basquiat, and I've been delighted to have had this conversation. Lisan, good to, good to have you on. We'll do it again. Take care of yourself. Thank you, Tavis. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this time. This was wonderful. I enjoyed it immensely. That is our show for today. Back here tomorrow morning, Lord willing to do it all over again, 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific time. Time now for the KBLA Midday Money Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson to be followed by Naja Roberts' fine program, Ahead of the Crypto Curve. Old money, new money, it don't matter. We got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. Until tomorrow morning, thanks for tuning in. And as always...